Thank you for making my morning. I appreciate that. My name is Todd Neiswanger. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. I try to make it around to say hi to everybody. I don't always make it to everybody, but if you're new here, uh, we really are glad that you were able to make it this morning. And for all those that have been a part of Cornerstone for years, I'm also glad you're here because this is our family and I love, love our family. So what we've been doing, and you can go ahead and open up your Bibles if you got them to 1 Corinthians 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I'll be throwing uh, verses up on the screen that you'll be able to see. But we've been talking through just this whole idea of thinking rightly in a broken world. That's what we've been doing. Now, a lot of this just came from, I think, just me and, and walking alongside of other people. For the last couple years, it was just really hard to think rightly. Um, just all the things that flew at us that we sometimes didn't know what to do. And, and I've confessed this before. Oftentimes, I felt like the church was like looking at the elders and the pastors going, what do we do? And I'm looking at God going, God, what do we do? I mean, it was just a really weird and difficult time to walk through. But I'm, one of the things that I wanted to do is regardless of what comes in the coming years, I want us ready to think rightly, to think rightly through the world and, and what's going on inside of the world. So one of the things that we did is we started off at the very beginning, if you remember right, is we clarified that Paul, like in Ephesians 5, he's writing to a group of people that they were experiencing many of the same things. They too, Paul says, I want you to be careful how you walk. I don't want you to walk as unwise, but as wise. I, I want you to make the best use of every opportunity because the, the days are evil. And then the key of this that we talked about is what Paul really wants us to do is to not be foolish, but to understand God's will. Understand who he is and what he's doing in this world. The biggest and most important thing you can do is not, I felt like sometimes was our predisposition for the last two years, but it's to really get this mindset and this heart to understand God's will and what he's doing in the world, who I am in Christ, and then to join him in that particular moment. Now, we're going to talk more about what that means, not only today, but in the coming weeks, but then we had to ask the obvious next question is, well, then how do we know God's will? Well, the passage of scripture that we went to is Romans 12. And if you remember right, in kind of verse one, we, we laid out this idea that in order to understand God's will, we need to understand his story. We need to understand God's word. We need to understand his word then and, and what it looks like to submit ourselves to his story, but then how to say no to other stories at the beginning of verse two, how to not be conformed to the pattern of this age, this world that we live in. But here's the key, is that as we are transformed, as we are, we're walking through him, the key aspect that we are talking about for us to think rightly is to have minds that are renewed so that we can understand how to join God. So we've been looking at this whole idea of the mind and, and, and what is the mind and, and what does it look like now to, to have these minds that are prepared, that understand how to join God and what he's doing. Now, let me clarify this so everybody has it. If you haven't got it yet, the mind is, is not our conscious thoughts. It's not our intellect. It's not our reason. Instead, if you're kind of thinking computer terms, it's our interface. It's the way in which now, or this tool that God gives us to be able to rightly know him and to interact with him, but also the world in which we, we live in. Then in other words, think about it. God gave us this incredible thing called the mind so that we might not only rightly interact with our God and, and, and rightly enjoy him, but that we might rightly be able to enjoy the world in which we live in. Now, I know on some levels people are like, okay, whatever. But no, this is huge. 
The simple fact that we have the capacity to rightly know God and to rightly know this world is powerful. Now, one of the things, though, that we had to think about, though, and this is when Christian came up and talked about it, we needed to have these minds then that understood what they're being renewed to. And so we went back to the beginning and what God intended for our minds to be. He, he intended for our minds to acquire knowledge by the first one is, is with limits. In other words, he would give us the revealed truth of what we need. We don't, we don't have to look outside of God's revealed will to know how to interact and interface with God or how to interact with our world. We need his revelation. We need to be dependent upon him, to live in that, that beautiful space in which we understand we are in desperate need of him. But the other part that I loved, and I don't know if you remember this, but that trusting relationship when, when Christian talked about God bringing the animals in front of Adam and just wondering what is he going to call them. But the most important thing is to help Adam understand, look, out of this relationship, you need another just like you. I was, I was thinking this week, how long do you think it took God and Adam to name the animals before Adam finally got the fact that he didn't have one like him? He was a dude, right? So you have to extend the time. <laughs> but at some point in there, I love the graciousness of God in his relationship with Adam where Adam finally goes, hey, wait a second. None of these are like me. I need one just like me. And in the beauty of what God did, he created woman out of his side and in that wonderful place, Adam and Eve then were fulfilling their status as image bearers. These ones created in the image of God, reflecting God in the world. And if you remember right, last week, Spencer used a mirror to show how we're supposed to reflect God to the world. Now, after that, last week was kind of downer Sunday with Spencer, which is very normal. <laughs> right? He came in and he showed us the broken mirror. See, the, the problem with the fall was is that it undid all of the beauties of what God intended. That, In other words, in the fall, humanity embraced this lie that our minds could acquire knowledge in an unlimited way. We could pull in all kinds of information at our own ends to use for our own ends independently of God. We talked about this idea where the snake lied to Eve and said, you can be like God knowing good Oh, and here's the second one, evil. You can know that. And oh, can you imagine a world in which we never knew evil? Well, imagine it, because that's what it's going to be like, a new creation, praise God. Good clap. Good clap over there. Way to go. But here's the other thing, is that now it was separate from a trusting relationship with God. No longer would humans be in the relationship that God intended, it would be broken. And we know this then from Genesis 11 when he went there, is that when humanity gets to this particular point in which they've rejected the way in which God has created us, they begin then, and you see this in there, to make a name for themselves. All of us do that. We become those broken mirrors that no longer reflect God as God intended, but we begin to reflect in a, in a weird way ourselves. Now, I think what's crucial on that, especially when we talk about what we're been renewed from, is how devastating that is. What he was trying to tell us in, in Titus 1.15 is just this reality that our minds now are no longer operating they were supposed to. In Titus 1.15, it says now our minds are corrupted. They're, they're not operational. They're not working in the way that God intended. Now, by that, we don't mean that humans can't do amazing things. 
Like I was thinking about it the other day when, when humanity, I think one of the greatest things humanity has done is when they split the atom. That's crazy. Like I'm a huge, you know, I'm a huge like chemistry nerd, right? Like I, and I am, in case you're new here, I am a huge nerd and I'm okay with that. But when they split the atom, that was crazy. Whoever thought that things operate at such a tiny level, but yet we can pull the atom apart. But you know this, that when it's separated from revealed, what God reveals to us, being dependent upon him, and when we're no longer operating in a trusting relationship, that very same thing that is so brilliant can become so awful. In fact, the, the man that really did become the key of it was just, he was, I think, thinking in some ways out of this, that when God looked out in, in Genesis 11, he said, oh my goodness, now humanity having the same mind and the same language, whatever they set out to do, it won't be impossible for them. They will be able to do all kinds of things, and those things won't be wonderful. And that's why Jay Oppenheimer, when he saw the atomic bomb go off, he said, now I am become death, the destroyer of the world." that even the good things humanity touches just cause this world to decay and fall apart. You see this like in Romans 121, and you don't have to go there, and we're gonna, we're gonna get to 1 Corinthians in just a second. For all that they knew God, and they, they knew who he was, they didn't honor him as God, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were dark, and claiming to be wise, they became fools. And since they did not see the fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, and that word debased just means undiscerning, mind, to do what ought not to be done. In other words, they take the gifts of God and they just make it worse. This week, and, and for all of us in here that are followers of Jesus, we were probably watching to see what was gonna happen with Roe v. Wade. I was thinking about it from the standpoint of what we understand of the human. Especially what we understand of the human inside of its mother. Like, has anybody ever seen the pictures of inside mom's womb, right? The kid sucking his thumb and doing all kinds of crazy things inside of mom's womb. We now have the technology to see what's going on inside of that. We see as, as followers of Jesus that whether somebody is 95 years old or still inside of mom's womb, that little one is created inside the image of God. There's a, a wonder to look inside of mom's womb and go, no way he is or she is being knitted together in the likeness of God in his very image. But yet the world looks at it and says, what Justice Sotomayor said, and I'm not picking on her, but she says, is this view of killing 62 million humans since the beginning of Roe v. Wade anything but just a religious view? Now, before we pick on her, though, what Spencer said last week is so important. People that don't know God, that's how people think. That's how they wrestle through life. That's how they understand it. But I would say that is where the church needs to step forward, not in arrogance. And sometimes I feel in the Roe v. Wade debate, we get so angry towards the world that is out there. We're going to talk about why you don't have to be angry anymore at the people that espouse these views. I want everybody to have justice in mind and pursue justice. And, but we have to understand the limitations of humanity. We have to understand that we are looking at the world in a completely different way than the world around us looks at it. But understand this, it is not because if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, it's not because we're better than you, we're not. I know too many people in here, trust me, we're not. 
The only difference between us and the world we're gonna find out is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's it. The only difference is that, but once the Spirit of God grips our life, and this is what happened to me in my life, I begin to see out there those little ones do need to be protected. They are created in the image of God, but then I started thinking to myself as the church was so angry, and that was also the time, remember when everybody was, not everybody, people were blown up abortion clinics in the name of Jesus? That was brilliant. But I started thinking about the fact, okay, but the church tells these young moms to protect those kids, but then what do we do after? That's where my heart gravitated towards adoption. And man, I loved it that this church, I don't know why you did, but you dove in with us. And those of us that adopted kids are wondering why we did now. I'm, I'm kidding. But no, we, we love, I love my kiddos. We, we dove into it. But then I started thinking about the moms that have these kiddos. What about them? See, it's not just the life of the unborn. It is that particular life, but now it's the life of that little one. It's the life of these mamas, which I'm gonna, my heart is to try to figure out how do we as a church help those particular mamas, but we pursue justice with everything that we can. We, we, we are gracious and humble and bold in our proclamation of things, but listen to me. As hard as we try to talk and help people understand what it means to be human, our world does not get it because the mind of the world right now, like, like Spencer talked about last week, is broken. And in fact, let me just say this to you. You don't have to be angry anymore. You don't have to be frustrated with the world. Now, how do I get that? Well, look with me in 1 Corinthians 2. Look at verse 14. Let me see if I can, can not only support that idea, but then begin to, I think, launch us off as a church in a great direction. In verse 14, it says the natural person, and the natural person is just somebody who doesn't know Jesus, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Well, why, Paul? For they're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually Discern. Does everybody see that? As much as we want to help the world understand this beautiful reality of who God is and what he's doing in the world, they can't understand. Their minds need to be, Romans 12, 2, they need to be renewed. Now again, not because we're better than them. If you, any of you leaves thinking that we're better than the rest of the world, I will chase you down and all the balloons that got put in my office from that banquet this weekend, I will take and put them in your house. I just want to pray for Dan Arnold right now, Lord. <laughs> but they can't get it. Verse 15, the spiritual person, the person who knows Jesus, judges, or actually the word there is just discerns, discerns all things, and we're going to learn later, all things the Lord reveals to him, but is self to be judged or discerned by no one. The person with the spirit now has the capacity to actually discern the limits of what it means that God's revelation to us. It's the things that God discerns that gives to us. We, we understand that we are absolutely dependent upon the spirit of God. We understand that we need to be that image bearer that God's created us to be, that we need to be in this trusting relationship. The only reason that we get it is because God chose to reveal it to us through his Holy Spirit. But the crazy part about it is, and I don't know how many of you have thought about it this week, if you woke up this morning and just went, shut up. As a follower of Jesus, I have the Spirit of God in me. That 
is crazy. And because the Spirit of God is in you, we're going to learn here in just a little bit when we get to verse 16, we have the capacity to think through life as God intended it to be. Now, where do we see the Spirit before? So just keep that in your mind. We can't do this. So where do we see the Spirit of God before? Well, the first time we see the Spirit of God come is in Genesis 1 when he hovers over the water and in a beautiful way, all of creation, kind of as the Spirit hovers over the water, comes to life. Here's the thing you need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Everything that the Holy Spirit enters into, death goes away and life begins to come into it. You even see this in Genesis 2 when when God breathes. That word that's used there is the actual word for the Spirit. When God breathes life into the man and the woman, it was the Holy Spirit that brought life. Even later in Genesis 4, even after the fall, when, when humanity rejected him, there was something so powerful that he says in Genesis 4 that at that time it says these people that came in the line of Seth and Enosh, they began to call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because of the Spirit of God. And then all throughout the Old Testament, every time the Spirit lands on different ones, Abraham, he lands on Moses, he lands on David, he lands on Josiah, something powerful comes to life inside of God's people where they begin to see life as it was intended. And that's why David even prayed in Psalms. He said, oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. I want the capacity to see life it was intended. But the problem with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit went. But in Isaiah, or excuse me, in Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel 36, there became this promise that one would come along, that the Spirit of God would would be on him, that we know later would be Jesus Christ. And when he fulfilled what he was intending to do, then God's spirit will land onto God's people, never leaving him. And God's people now will have the capacity and the ability to think through life. And then in Acts 2, when the spirit of God fell on the church, boom. All of God's people begin to know and to understand, and they begin to pursue God like he was intended. The main thing I want you to know, if you're sitting here today and you know Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. You now can think rightly through the world. You have the mind, the capacity of a mind that can be renewed so that you can know God's will. And that should wake us up every single morning with our shut up face going on, no way. I have God's spirit in me. Let's walk this through just a little bit more. Look down at your Bible so I can kind of clarify this even more. Look at verse six. He says, yet among the mature, or just in this case, it's just true followers of Jesus, we do impart a wisdom, in other words, a truth that you can get, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. It's, it's not like that wisdom that we get, Romans 12, 2, this wisdom that, that is of this age. He says in there, but we impart a secret or hidden wisdom, and that, that concept just there, we, we get revelation from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now watch this. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. See what I mean? The world doesn't get it. 
As much as we want to yell and scream, they don't get it. I had a friend of mine who, who taught preaching at a seminary, and he got to be able to take a bunch of his students, and they preached inside of a morgue with, like, the, the caskets around them. And I, I was like, why did you do that? I was like, I thought you were sick, but that took it to a whole new level. And when they were done preaching with those caskets all around, he looked at each of the guys and said, never, ever forget when you preach you're preaching to people that as much as you scream, as much as you yell, as much as you do anything else, they will never come alive apart from the Spirit of God. I said, oh, okay, that makes sense. I got you. But look at verse eight. How do we know this? Because if they would have got it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They never would have done it. But in verse 9, he says, but no, there's good news for those of you that have the Holy Spirit. And look what he calls about the receiving of the Holy Spirit. There's something that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. He's like, no, you got to understand this, this very reception of the Holy Spirit. It has been the longing of what humanity have wanted, and they have just experienced the little bits all throughout time now. But now you are a group of people that are unique. Verse 10 these things God has revealed to us. In other words, don't pat yourself on the back. Don't think you're smart. They're revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a, spirit's, a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. It's impossible. Verse 12 now, we have received not the spirit of this world, not the pattern of this world, Romans 12, 2, but we've got the spirit who's from God that we might understand the things freely given to us. We can get it. I love what Ava said, and others have said this before. Within her first year of being a follower of Jesus, she reads the Bible. Why? Because the spirit of God drew her to God's word drew her to want to understand what God is doing in the world. Longing to come to it, she began to feast on it and pull it in with discipline. And this is what Paul is getting at. And this is what I want you to understand as we move on to understanding God's word and God's people and God's son. We cannot do this apart from dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You can't do this. Everybody get me? Nod your head if you get me. Because I've been trying to hit it from every angle that I can. I don't want anybody to leave here and go, I wonder what Todd was talking about. <laughs> we are desperate for the Spirit of God. And the world that is out there, they don't know it yet, but they are desperate for the Spirit of God. And that's why Paul wrote in 2.14 and 15, that's why the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. Because they're spiritually appraised. Now, for those of you that don't know Jesus, I don't know who in here does. Let me, let me just speak to you real quickly about this. How then do I receive the Holy Spirit? That's the question that should be in the back of our head. If, if, we, are, if we are ones who need the Holy Spirit to think rightly through the world, then how do we do it? Well, the way in which it happens is in Ephesians 1, it talks about this, verse 13, is that in him, that's Christ, when you heard the truth of the word, the gospel of our salvation and believed, look at that, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
When you heard the message of King Jesus who came and we're about to celebrate him coming, God, fully God and dwelt in flesh, he's now the God-man. When he came and lived the perfect life, when he came then, and not only living that life, but died and was buried and rose again, declaring himself as the king, but forgiving sins now because of his work on the cross. When you come to that position in which the spirit of God works in you and you believe, look it down at verse 14. You receive the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We, require, we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So how do you receive the Holy Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit by bending the knee to King Jesus. If you're somebody that is sitting in here today that has never come to know Jesus, let me just tell you this. You will never, ever receive the Holy Spirit apart from the work of Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father. No one receives the Holy Spirit apart from him. And if you want to be one who receives this gift that God is talking about in the Holy Spirit, you bend the knee today. You might say, well, how do I do it? You know, do I, do I dance? Do I, do I run? Do I raise my hand? Do I shout for joy? You believe. You believe. And after you believe, something powerful happens. The Spirit of God comes upon you. But you have to understand something. This word of the cross that Paul preached was something that was really hard to understand. See, the message in which we preach this word of the cross is about a middle-class man who came from the far end of the Roman Empire. And in coming from the far end of the Roman Empire, he grew up in kind of the backwoods. He grew up in the Wyoming of Israel. That's where I'm from, Wyoming. We had a little moment with somebody over here from Wyoming. The backwoods. He was a guy that came and kind of ruffled feathers amongst the spiritual elite, and he proclaimed himself to be the son of God. He was preaching the gospel. But then this guy that was from the far ends of the Roman Empire in the backwoods, he was then crucified as a criminal. And in many people's minds, they're like, ah, that can't be it. That can't be the way to come to know Jesus. But let me tell you something. Paul, when he preached, he preached about this. He said, I didn't come proclaiming a testimony with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't talk about a highfalutin man that's set up in a palace. I didn't talk about anybody along those lines. I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified because that is the only message that saves. Amen. He said, it's written, and this is what I love about it. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wife? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, God chose a message that to so many people seems foolish, but God loves to choose foolish things. By the way, that includes you and me as the testimony of his grace wherein everybody gets done with it, they go, no way. That is the way, and God says, Yep, because the foolishness of me is far greater than the greatest wisdom that you can ever conjure. I'm God. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human may begin to boast in the presence of God. And so Paul says, man, I came amongst you, and you saw I was one of those low things. I came in weakness and much trembling my speech, my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. Well, why, Paul? Why'd you do it? And this is what I'm even saying to those of you that don't know Jesus. I'm not trying to wow you. I'm not trying to dance to get you to come to know Jesus. I just want you to know that those who bend the knee 
Because they hear the good news of Jesus is so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of man or on my good jokes, and I've never told a good joke in my life, just so you know. Well, that was kind of funny. But in the power of God. This message that we preach has power. And when you believe, oh, something happens. This Jesus who was in the world, the world was made through him. They might have rejected him. He came to his own and they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or of flesh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but just people that God did a work in. And all of you in here that know Jesus, and I'm looking out over you, you are trophies of Jesus' grace. Every one of you. Not because of yourself, but just because God chose. Let me just say this. For those of you that are out there, I'm pleading with you, bend the knee to King Jesus today. And there's even some of you, let me, just, let me just talk real quickly about some of you that I think might even be playing the game of Christianity. Don't play with this. In Matthew 7, it talks about people that claim to know Jesus. Didn't we do this in your name, Jesus? Didn't we do that in your name, Jesus? This is a serious thing to make a decision before the King of kings and Lord of lords because those that truly haven't bent the knee, he will say, depart from you. I, 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 don't, I don't know you. It is a wonderful, wonderful message. And what comes from it is that we are transformed. We are now people, verse 16, when he asked this question, who can understand the mind of the Lord? And then verse 16, he says this statement, oh, but we have the mind of Christ. And oh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful I have the mind of Christ because this last week I drove on the 405. Oh, it is the place right next to Disneyland where Satan dwells. <laughs> Not as much laughter on the second one. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's true. But, right? I'm so thankful in the midst of parenting, we can think like Jesus because I don't want to. I'm so thankful in this world as we look out into it in our jobs and our marriages and everything else. Paul is saying to them, you gotta understand who you are. Those of you that believe the message of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand how powerful this new mind is. This mind isn't that somehow we just think the best thoughts of humanity, is that we have the capacity to have the mind of Jesus Christ. That is powerful. Now, before you think then, oh, great, I want to come to know this mind so that I can have rainbows and puppy dogs and unicorns and everything will go great. The mind of Christ was in much joy. But if you want to see the mind of Christ, I think, in action, you go to the garden. There's Jesus in the garden and before his death... And she's crying out to the Father, saying, Father, if this can pass from me, please let it. But if not, and here's what I love, here's the mind of Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. That's the mind of Jesus. It's the mind of Jesus that takes us all the way back to Revelation. 
It take, or to Genesis, excuse me, all the way back, all the way back to Genesis. The mind, when we talk about it, it's the mind that says, oh God, we don't have capacity for infinite information. I need you to reveal truth to me and I need your Holy Spirit to reveal it to me. Father, I am desperate. I'm dependent upon your Holy Spirit. And oh Father, I wanna walk this journey with you in a trusting relationship. Remember I talked about this last week, how Christian, he used this idea of God naming the animals just a second ago. Have you ever wondered, though, as we walk with God through this life, him just watching us as we make decisions? Like I was trying to think about just my yesterday, or the day before, sorry. We had to go buy a car, because our one car is beginning to, to go to car heaven. <laughs> we got on the 210, and then 405, and got into the valley, and I'm thinking to myself, what does the mind of Christ look like? We got out of the parking lot and the sharks begin to circle. <laughs> Salesman. And one came up to us and again, I'm just thinking, Father, what does the mind of Christ look like? As we went through the negotiations on the car, oh, Father, don't give me the mind of Christ now. I need a good deal. <laughs> so we begin to interact and it was crazy. In the midst of all of it, God kept putting these people. One lady sold us our car way back in 2002. And my wife and I that morning, I'm sitting there going, God, give us the mind of Christ. We got to share Jesus with her because she was flummoxed and how, how we came back to her to rebuild a car. Then afterwards, the guy that sold us the car, he said, you know, you're not like the normal person that comes here. And I said, oh, you don't understand. I'm a bigger loser than the people that come but he just goes, no, he goes, I'm just curious, like, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, I wondered, and we began to talk about the gospel. What is so cool about that is that, remember, the whole goal of those three pillars of who we are are intended to display the image of God in the world. And just by me asking the simple question throughout the day, God, what is it that, that has the mind of Jesus? What does this look like? And he didn't show off Todd because Todd is a massive loser. He instead showed off his son because in Galatians 2.20, when you and I come to know Christ, we are crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but something powerful happens. Christ what? Lives in me. That man, whether he knew it or not, or that lady, she was from Poland and she made fun of me the whole time and I was like, at first felt really bad, but that didn't care. I, I got to share Jesus this whole time we're together. I left there just rejoicing in the grace of Jesus Christ. I had the spirit of God within me and out came Jesus Christ. That's not just me, that's all of us that know Jesus. We're people, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, we're these people that, that we no longer need to live for ourselves. Jesus died so that we wouldn't do that, so that we might now live for him. And so just for a second while I've got over here, and if you're checked out, check back in for just a second. I asked this question before, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you get who you are? Your mind isn't just anything. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the capacity of the mind of Christ, but it needs to be renewed, Romans 12, 2. We're gonna talk about how the word of God, the people of God, and the son of God do that in the coming weeks. But once we get that renewed mind, oh God. 
you know this, it's powerful. And don't settle for anything less, please. Don't think that the wisdom of this age is gonna get you to do anything worthwhile. God is offering out to you, especially if you don't know Jesus Christ right now, he's offering you out to his son to be able to have a mind, to be able to operate and move and think like Christ. Don't reject that. Pursue it with everything that you are. And here's the last thing. Not just individually we're gonna learn, but together. What you're gonna learn from Christian next week, what you're gonna learn from me in the week after and the week after that, is this is a y'all thing. Constantly throughout the Bible, he says, have one mind amongst yourselves. Have it together. Pursue it. Because I really do think the thing that is gonna transform our community is not gonna be Todd the individual or you the individuals. But when all these individuals come together and have the mind of Christ, and shout it into the world through how we speak and live. And I think now is our time.